السلام عليكم السلام عليكم جست اون اون ذس ذس استبرق ايشو امونج ذا ثينجز ذات فور فور سبيشلي ذوس هو نو اربيك ان ان اراب سي ظهر السماء وبطن السماء ظهر السماء والبطن السماء and they say ظاهر الشيء وباطن الشيء متساويان that it's an expression when you say that this is ظهر السماء والبطن السماء means that I am seeing the sky and the الظهارة والبطانة لشيء واحد so that whatever is the essence of a something should also equal it in the outer appearance of a something and uh, for stabrak it refers to in, in Arabic ثخين الدباج من حسنه بريق كأنه من شدة لمعانه نور مجرد that it is a certain type of debaj that that would shine and it's so beautiful that it shines as if it is pure light so there is cumulative evidence that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says بطائنها من استبرق that Allah is alerting us that its essence and its truth is pure light I just forgot to say that um okay Um, I don't know if, if you guys are like are with me. I'm completely blown away. Um, I just wanted to add a few more stories. Um, I don't know if the professor remembers this, but when he talked about everything, um, everything prostrating before Allah, I remember 15 years ago about we had just arrived at the law school at UCLA. We had just driven there and we were parking for a moment. And the professor had seemed to me like he was in a bit of a trance. And then he came out of it and he was like, oh my God, I, I can't, he was just, he was sort of speechless. And so I pressed him on it and he said, I, I, I feel like I just saw what it means that everything is, um, how did you say it? Not prostrating before Allah, but basically what he said is he saw a vision where everything was saying subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this. And it was like he had seen like even like every blade of grass saying subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah in unison. And so that just always stuck with me. And so it just was really meaningful when we were talking about that again. And I, I just wanted to share, like, um, you know, this is, 
like I'm reminded at these times of just what an incredible blessing it is for all of us to have the opportunity to have this kind of knowledge. Um, you know, one of the things that was particularly liberating for me shortly after conversion, you know, when you when you convert to Islam, and I'm, you know, Muslims now, even if you're not a convert, you're really pressed on this idea that there's only one truth and one way to understand things. And especially as a convert, that, that puts you in a very difficult position because you know so little and you have so little experience that you, you kind of tend to believe that and that it's like there's either the right way or the wrong way. And one of the things that was very liberating for me when I met the professor, um, and certainly after we got married and I got to know more about everything, um, was the, the understanding that there are so many different scholarly opinions on any given point. Like he would often emphasize the fact that, you know, it's like the rabbinic tradition where you have one, you know, one issue, 10 rabbis, and 20 opinions. And it's like that in the Islamic tradition, but even more so. And that was really a point for me of enlightenment and liberation, because I understood that for any issue that, we would, that I would come across in my life, as long as there was a multiplicity of opinion, that would mean that you know, there are a lot of different ways that a person could understand this or look at this. And we're talking about scholars, right? People who are learned and people who are pious. And so that, that these are equally um, orthodox views on, you know, any, on every single issue, because life, as we know, is very complicated. And that was such a point of liberation. So when I think about, for example, then these tafsir, you know, this is like the professor will say, okay, this is my, what my vicar showed and what I believe, and you may completely agree with that. Well, I know for someone like me, I will never have the ability to access this type of understanding or knowledge without someone like the professor, because all of this obviously comes from a lifetime of experience, you know, he, where he grew up, the language he was born into, the amount of time he spent studying with sheikhs, um, you know, the fact that he was imprisoned and tortured and saw people, his best friends die, and he was the only one that emerged. I mean, and so many experiences since then, you know, obviously this is what creates a person. And I will never, you know, be, anywhere close to even achieving that unless I understand it from someone like the professor. And, you know, so, and just, I, you know, my job partly is to embarrass the professor. So <laughs> he always says that, you know, you, why is it that you always embarrass me when you tell me these stories or tell people these stories? But I'll tell this one too. Um, so when, when he came to the US and he took like an IQ test, right? Um, <laughs> Just to give you a sense of like, you know, it's not just life experience, it's not just, you know, spiritual, but, it, but it's intelligence too. He took the IQ test the first time and he scored in the 160s. And then he figured out how the IQ test worked. So he took it again and he scored in the 180s, okay? I don't know how many people, you know, can do that, but that's what it takes, you know? And so it's like, sure, maybe you have a different opinion, but, you know, for someone like me, I'm like, okay, yeah, but this is not anything that, I think is parallel to anything else. So uh, just to give you, I mean, these are not things that you would know unless like someone like me tells you these stories. So I hope you don't mind me sharing. <laughs> and I'm sorry to embarrass you, but think of how many hasanet you just earned. Think of like what levels of Jenna now you have like emerged. <laughs> so my job is yes, to increase the levels of Jenna, but through my irritation or creating irritation, brother Pastor, sorry. Poor Baba. Um, but the last, um, the last thing too is, 
just to kind of underscore the importance of, again, this knowledge, right? Because, you know, what we understood from Surah Rahman, you know, every single surah the professor has done this with now. And how valuable is it for us to learn like this depth of knowledge about every single surah of the Quran? Can you imagine if we understood all of that, you know, in as a cumulative a body of knowledge, how that would just advance us, you know, in our in our time. So I, I ask, you know, all wealth comes from Allah, right? And so and Allah is going to ask, how did you spend my wealth? And let me just say this, there were many, many times in our marriage where we spent so much money on books that I honestly would freak out. I wouldn't know how to pay the next round of bills. And the professor would always like kind of look at me and just say, don't worry, a lot, you know, this is like in your, we're spending in the, in the sake of knowledge. And I cannot tell you how many times, like, I thought we wouldn't make it. And literally a check from something would show up within days of having to pay a bill. I mean, it happens so many times that there's no coincidence to the point where, you know, where I would usually freak out and be super anxious and we would get into fights about it. I finally calmed down and I'm like, you know, okay, how many times does this have to happen for me to actually get this lesson? So for people who are, you know, afraid of like, okay, well, I can't spend or I can't invest in this because, you know, I don't have the money. I, you know, this is just to say that I believe when you spend in the way of knowledge and especially for this knowledge, Allah will provide and Allah will not allow you to go poor because you're spending your money in order for us to all gain the knowledge of the Quran in this way. So that's my that's my fundraising pitch for today. But please, you know, share this knowledge with um, with everyone, convey to people how singular this knowledge is and how important it is that, you know, we need this. So inshallah. That's it. <laughs> so let's start with some questions. Oh, okay. Did you want to first? Okay, Sharif has a question first. I have seniority. <laughs> Maybe let, let Baba read it because there's Arabic. Oh, okay. For Sharif gets first dibs because, and we, we all have to thank Sharif because for six to eight years, he, eight like years. eight years, he pushed his father to do the line by line tafsir of Surah Rahman, and that's actually what triggered Wait, six, us. Six years before the line by line tafsir, and then eight. Now it's eight. Eight, okay. So six years it took for us to start the tafsir. Um, again, because, you know, we had a number of tafsir, tafsir sessions um, from back in the 90s and 2000s, and then we stopped for a while, and then we started again when the Usuli Institute started back in 2017, and then that was really because of Sharif and him pushing the professor to please do Surah Rahman, and, um, and that sparked the additional tafsir, and then thanks to Sharif, we got the blessing of this day today. With Surah Rahman again. So, I also so he reserve, gets first dibs on questions. I reserve the right to also interject with questions at any point. At any point, yes. Sharif okay. says now he <laughs> he has the right to interject at any point with any question. So yes, I think we we owe him that. <laughs> okay. So do you do you want to read that question? Okay. So the question from Sharif is: It worth noting uh, or contributing to understanding of the verse? to note that the word of lightning is Barq. And wasn't the animal the Prophet Muhammad rode to Palestine in Isra'ul Maraj named Buraq? Yeah. 
Yeah, the, these are good points. Um, the word this goes back to the word stabrak. There, in the in the tafsir, there is you find a, a discussion about whether the word stabrak is an Arabic word or whether it is a Persian word or um, um, in other words, in other words, a word that came into Arabic um, from another language. But anyway, uh, so, th and that debate goes back to whether istabrak, the lineage of istabrak, its its root, um, comes from baraka, from bark, or it comes from a foreign root altogether, and. Um, then and and what that means for what that means in terms of the meaning of the word, those who thought that astabrak was a foreign word said it refers specifically to a type of silk, and that it's it has no root in Arabic. It's just the name of the threads of silk that are so shiny that they seem to. Illuminate those who said no. Stabrak is in fact derived from Arabic and is derived from word bark. Saw made exactly the type of connections that Sharif made. That it it shares the same meaning as lightning, bark, and the 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 camel that the Prophet Sallam, uh, is reported in Maraj is burak. Um, which some have said is a luminous vehicle, I mean, a luminous animal. Of course, nothing that like what we see on Earth. It's uh, um, like a lot of the descriptions that have to do with the celestial world. They're simply approximations. But yes, I think that Estabrak is not does not refer to silk or to any form of textile. That I think Astabrak is clearly a a reference to lightning, to light, and to especially equality of light, where light is luminous and has no origins. So you can't say Astabrak about the light of a candle, for instance. Um, you can't even say Astabrak about the light coming from a star. And a stabrak is something that is self-illuminating. It's it's it, the light comes from within itself. Um, so yeah, but that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I ne I I've never I the, the I've never told any the story about this I these IQ tests <laughs> back when when I first came to the U.S. except to Grace. Uh, and I've actually never said it to even my parents, never said it to my siblings, <laughs> never. Sorry. So I and I couldn't have imagined that Grace would find any occasion to repeat uh, that. But anyway, may Allah forgive her for, for for telling you guys this. Yeah, somebody commented that yeah, IQ tests are not uh, 
don't measure anything. I think that's the point. He's, he figured it out and how to do it. Yeah, so, they're, they're, not I mean, they're not objective because I yeah. figured the logic of the IQ test. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not objective tests. I know I couldn't figure that out. So anyway, um, okay. Um, <clears throat> first question. My question is about clarifying the meaning of Janatan. The Surah mentions that for those who duly revere or recognize their Lord, their recompense is two Janas. Did you mention that these two jannas refers to the duality with, within us or that the reward is the reconciliation of this duality and that is the jannah? If it is the latter, what is the dual reward? You mentioned that the reconciliation of the duality within us can occur on two levels, but I think I missed how you said that happens. Yeah. So first it says, So it those who revere or has proper reverence for the Lord are Jannatan. Now, you can take it in the literal sense that there are two physical Jannas. But there is no reason to take it in the literal sense of two physical Jannas. I mean, are they two gardens, as some have said they are? Is it Jannat al-Firdaus and Jannat al-Mi'ad and Jannat, you know, the, the four categorization of uh, Jannas, some co commentators said. What does it mean to have two physical Jannas? Um, this, and again, in that part, I'm not, it's not unprecedented, but as, as Jilani says, and others of the Sufi orientation, like Ibn Arabi and so on, said that, well, the two jannas don't refer to an actual two physical gardens, but they refer to two rewards given to the duality of the human being. Now, what does it mean to reward the two dualities? So if we look at, the actual Arabic. So it says, وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ فَبِأَيِّ أَلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ ذَوَاتَ أَفْنَانِ So both of these rewards are a source of great goodness. Zawata Afnan. They they are if you will exploding in an Afnan literally could mean uh, beauty. It comes from the word fen and fen is art, uh, beauty, um Whatever is beyond simple reproduction, but a a something that grabs the senses with its beauty. So zawata afnan, So at this point, we it starts expounding that these two are. In, within the 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 system, within the system, the understanding that I set out, that these two are a source of illumination and enlightenment. Uh, 
Now, we, we keep going with the description of the enlightenment uh, until we get to so suddenly it abruptly stops it first told us you know you, you are yielded a reward in the dual form and illumination and enlightenment in, in, in every sense until it comes to this remarkable transition statement. Is the reward of goodness but goodness? By the way, that is a transcendental moral principle that becomes thoroughly powerful and effective and influential in Islamic theology. So, is the recompense of goodness but goodness? So, if a human being has this duality, this wrestling, struggling duality, the aspiration to achieve the mizan, and then finally, you come to the hereafter, and if your passion is with Rabbuka Jalali wal Ikram, you are afforded this illumination, illumination to yourself. What is the ihsan that you ultimately want? What is the ihsan that you ultimately desire and long to receive? That ihsan, and remember that ihsan is what beyond justice. It is the act of the beauty, beauty and uh, or um, a recompense of beauty. What you, what, to put it bluntly, what you want is to reach the mizan in the hereafter, to balance the two. Now, some have said that this means vanquishing the duality in the human being and all that exists is the the singularity of illumination. So Ibn Arabi said, you know, when you get to the point of Jazaul Ihsan al Ihsan, that in fact, initially, you, it's like illuminating the two sides of you until they become equal. So as the Prophet said, you know, every human being has a Qareen, every human being has uh, a side, if you will, a, 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 uh, an attachment. And that attachment is like a shaitan. It's like the, the, your, your evil side, your negative side. And as the hadith says that, you know, in the case of the Prophet, ﷺ, he mastered this qareen on this earth until it, the, the conflict no longer exists. But for the rest of us, the conflict exists till the point we die. And so someone like Ibn Arabi said, well, what happens is that you vanquish your qareen and you, the ihsan that you achieve is you, you ultimately unify in the light of God. Um, others have said, like Jilani, for instance, that, well, no, it's not necessarily so. It's not that you get rid of the duality, but you achieve the balance. 
you become the illumination as such that all your inconsistencies and all your the conflicts within become resolved in a balanced state. Um, I tend to tend to agree with Jilani more than Ibn Arabi, but all I can tell is that all I can say is that with my reflections on Surah Al Rahman, that I can say that it is no small thing to talk about illumination that the both sides of you, the, the sides that are at peace with God and the side that rebels against God, the side that loves someone and tires of someone. You know, you sometimes you love someone passionately and sometimes you tire of that person. It is no small thing to say that Allah comes and addresses these two sides and illuminates with true perception and true understanding these two sides that, that you can become a balanced human being. I cannot imagine a more perfect description of Ihsan than to be a balanced human being where, this, where you, you are not consistently torn between your two conflicting sides, your, your, the voices that constantly tear you apart. That, I mean, just if you imagine the few moments in your lifetime where you are able to achieve that, you achieve that for an instant in, in your life on this earth. You know, your achievement, if you, if you imagine maybe on your wedding day, you know, where you are wear, putting the ring on someone or wearing the ring, and then you feel completely complete and whole for that instant. But how long does that feeling last? You know, an hour later, and you're back again to, to the struggle, to the conflict. You achieve it maybe, you know, in human terms, you know, maybe at the time you graduate and you receive your diploma, and for that instant, you're content and happy and balanced. But it evaporates very quickly. What... Being in the company of a Rahman and in the company of Surah Al-Rahman does on this earth is that when I am in the company of Surah Al-Rahman I am whole and I am balanced. I can feel the jinan that unify in Ihsan that encompass me, that envelop me, that take me over. So much so that when the session with Surah Al-Rahman ends, I'm sad. I have to go back to life. And I know that the minute I go back to life, 
they're going to be the emails, they're going to be the, the, the demands, they're going to be the annoyances, the irritations, they're going to be dinner, they're going to be after dinner, they're going to be going to bed, they're going to be brushing your teeth, they're going to be waking up, they're going to be brushing your teeth, they're going to be all the different things that take you away from the moments of repose that you felt with the Rahman. And then you think, can it possibly be that there will come a time where what I felt was Surah Rahman, I feel constantly in the grace of God. There is no greater Ihsan than that. There is no possible greater Ihsan than that. But the principle is Jazaul Ihsan and Ihsan. The reward of you striving for Ihsan is Ihsan. If you don't pay Ihsan forward, don't expect Ihsan. You know, it, it's a, it's a, it deals with us as grown-ups. While Christianity says effectively, oh, you know, just Jesus suffered for you, just accept Jesus and you've got Ihsan, don't worry about it. Live a crummy, disgusting life you have Ihsan because Jesus suffered for you. Islam says, no, you're grown-ups, people. You offer Ihsan, you get Ihsan. You offer light, you get light. You offer Rahmah, man la yarham, la yurham. You offer Rahmah, you get Rahmah. You offer what Rahman is, mercy and compassion, then that's what you get. You don't offer it, you live in, remember that part of the meaning of jinan is it comes from janashay, the reward of something, and also the same root is interestingly shared with jannah, which means to, um, to go beyond the bounds, to, to be sort of a, so we call an insane person a majnoon. You know, it, it's quite interesting because it's as if um, the reward has to step outside of the bounds of the norm for it to be a true reward and for it to bring finally your conflicting sides to peace and reconciliation. Um, anyway, okay. Verse uh, can I just say one thing? Okay, so when it also says, notice, after it says, is the reward of Ihsan, and then it moves on to the, the lower Jannahs, right? And it says, Okay, other than these two Jannahs, there are two, jan two Jannahs. Now, if you go back to the traditional tafsir, what they tell you is mudhammatan means that these two jannas are very green. They are so green that they appear black. You pause at this and say, okay, so it's lush greenery. That's what the traditional tafsir say. It's lush greenery. 
But mudhammatan has another meaning. And a meaning that is relevant here. These other two jannas are mudhammatan. Mudhammatan can also mean that they are not so clear and so they it's as if they blur together somewhat there are they are a reward but a reward that is not so decisive and so clear and so luminous they are somewhat blurry it's as if the other reward is a word that leaves space for growth. It leaves a level of confusion still. You're going to get a reward, but you're not going to get all the answers. Okay. Verse 27 uses, quote, the face of your Lord. Verse 96 uses, quote, the name of your Lord. One comes at the end of describing temporal existence and its destruction. The other comes at the end of the surah and describing the hereafter. Is there anything to be understood from this contrast? And what is the relationship between the face of God versus invoking God's name? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I, I usually take these off because they hurt, but... Um, What is really interesting is actually, in among, especially in Sufi tafsirs, they, they talk at length about this. Um, the mention of the face of the Lord and the name of the Lord. And they, they to sum up sort of what they say is that in the first mention, it is alerting you to the to the dissolution of physical reality, the, the evaporation of physical reality. And it's telling you that behind that physical reality is another physical reality, and that is the face of your Lord. That all of that that you see, all of that that you see, all these molecules and all these energy fields that come and create distinctions between one reality and the other, in fact, conceal the face of your Lord. Behind all of this reality, the only real truth and the only real constant is the actual, if you will, living force of God. When the name of the Lord is mentioned at the end of the surah, it is as if it is telling you, and again, this is all the, the, the Sufi tafsir, which, I mean, and of course they, they, they have a lot of points of the discussions between them, but in total, that it is the only thing that you can depend on, the only dependable thing, the only thing that you can truly rely on in the journey, whether on earth or in the hereafter, all that exists 
all that exists in the hereafter, whether heaven or hell, whether heavens with all its levels, is derived from the mercy of the Lord. So it is. It, it transitioned from talking about from the, what physical reality conceals, and that is the face of the Lord. The reality, the physical living force of the Lord, to the secret of all of existence, and that is summed up in a name, and that's especially for Sufis, that's very important because the 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 understanding of the name is the unlocking the secret of in, entire existence, and the force upon which you can depend. For me, my understanding comes very close to this, but in in this sense, when Allah mentions of the face of the Lord, it is a clear reference to what becomes the object of your longing after you see the universe prostrate and do tasbih. It is impossible for you to actually have these visions where you see the truth of life and how everything in life is in fact turned towards the physical truth of Allah's face, it's, it's literally, you know, like a sunflower, uh, that flower that turns towards the sun. When you see the truth of existence, all of existence is in reality, we just don't see it regularly, is turned towards the face of Allah. It is in a constant state of, in fact, we're the only naughty things, us and jinn, I mean, we're the only we're the only things that walk around oblivious to God. Everything else mocks us. The the trees mock us. The flowers mock us. The the leaves mock us. The grass mocks us. The mountains mock us, because we're we're stupid. You know, we rebel. But they know better. And when you realize that, what grabs all your attention? And all your focus is the face of your Lord. I can't describe the longing, the passion, the desire to see the face of your Lord. Now, the reminder at the end of the surah, I understand that as that your entire journey from the time you came to being to your life on earth to Yawm Qiyamah, the day of reckoning, to the hereafter, the only thing that sustains it and the only thing that you can depend on is the name of your Lord. Is, is whether, you visual, whether, you, whether you seek God's face or not, whether you are among those in the first jinan or in the second jinan, 
whether you complete your journey or you don't complete your journey, whether you, in fact, are granted the favor of gazing upon the sight of your Lord or not, it is what sustains it all, the truth of it all, is the Rahman. And I see in Surah Al-Rahman something that troubles a lot of people. I mean, it, it that ultimately, you know, we assume that resurrection and heaven is eternal existence. Uh, that's that's another discussion for for but it it. As long as it lasts, it lasts in the name of your Lord. How long it would last, that's something else. Khalidin al-Khulud doesn't necessarily mean eternity. It means long periods of time. So, Whatever reality, whatever the journey to your Lord, it is only sustained and preserved in the name of the Lord. And it is not, it is, it is very pompous and arrogant to assume that we will be co-eternal with God. It's human hubris that assumes that. Why must you all exist forever? Why are we only satisfied with the assumption that we exist forever? When you attain true understanding, it is sufficient for you that you get to a point that you dissolve in the Lord. That your existence gets to a point of enlightenment. And that if the Lord accepts you, and you're pure enough, and you're luminous enough to back to go back to God, and 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 for the story to end, when Allah wishes for it to end, it's very arrogant to assume that we will become co-eternal with God. It's something that people don't think of, but. My my long hours in supplications and prayer and pleading and begging and crying and the moments of enlightenment and the moments of illumination and the moments, as Grace called it, trance, taught me the humility of saying I exist as long as God wants me to exist. And alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I am completely at peace and satisfied with that. As long as Allah wants me to exist. You know, um, uh, 
I often tell when Grace tells you that I I I talk to her about like different surahs and I come and I. Uh, the the reason I do that is not so Grace can use it as material to embarrass me <laughs> later on, but the reason I do that is that it, it, it's very hard for someone, especially raised as a teacher, to learn things and not share them, and. You know, there are a point in your life where I would always tell myself, well, eventually, inshallah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that. But then you come to a point where you know that um, the time is ticking. There, there is no, eventually, I'll do that, I'll do this. Um, it's either you do it or you're buried with it. And that's the point where, you know, so far we did the Hadid, Jathia, and the Rahman. Can you imagine with each surah how much more there is? And you suffer with it. I mean, they, they torment my dreams, my sleep. They. And when it gets too much, I, you know, I'll come out and of the den, and I and I share things with Grace, and I know I'm going to regret it because I know <laughs> she'll embarrass me eventually. But I, you know, it's very hard to hold it back and to suppress it, and and you know, and then I know that she'll hand me with questions, so I then share with her a very limited amount, and then I take off my ears, and Alhamdulillah, Allah took my ear. I take off my ears and end the engagement. Uh, because first, when I had ears, normal ears, then, you know, she could hound me with questions the entire day. But now <laughs> I have the machine. I can turn off the machine and it's over. You know. That's why I was given a question quota, but now he controls the quota manually. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that did emerge in our marriage. I Eventually, after some years of marriage, I said, okay, I'm giving you a daily, daily quota of questions. <laughs> Uh, if you if you use up your quota, no, then I'm not going to answer any more questions. And it was like that for years until Allah made it much easier, so I could just turn off the machine and say, "Okay, it's over, <laughs> engagement's over, session over." Okay, go ahead. Right. Can you can you grab another um, I would be curious if the professor wants to go into more detail. Oh, you're not listening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. um, I would be curious if the professor wants to go into more detail regarding the musical healing aspects of the surah and on, but it's not a pressing question. But I thought you would like to talk about that. Okay. Um, the the an the an ar rahman to kathiban. Insane. There, there are certain sounds in music that have an affinity to the human psyche. They calm the human psyche. So, for instance, think of when we make the sound often in in um, in more traditional settings when we go like. That human sound, that, that human was. 
among these sounds, and I, I don't I don't have memorized all the sounds, but among these sounds is exactly that the and 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 it actually has a calming effect on the human psyche. And you can't miss the fact that the entire surah reproduces the sound. And when we modern human beings um, have polluted their hearings because their their musical sounds are 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 increasingly detached from nature. There are sounds in music that are closer to nature, you know. So, um, and these sounds, you know, are reproduced by cellos, by violins, by ouds. Uh, they 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 reproduce sounds that are by their nature calming to the human soul and expressing sounds that already exist in nature and among them is the sound and 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 um we've corrupted our ears i mean we corrupted our ears with electronics and atonality and um uh, you know things that defy that in fact you know that 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 aspire for the ugliness instead of beauty uh the reason i like classical music for instance is because at least some classical music the 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 classical music of people like bach or people like beethoven still preserve the affinity to traditional persian music or traditional uh, Arabic music it has that affinity to the sounds of nature that are calming. While you see the movement in the Western civilization, a lot of the musical sounds b- became exactly in contra in in contradiction to the human spirit. Their their intention is to jar and unsettle the human spirit under the claim that we're defying the human spirit so that it can aspire for something higher. Well, a lot of time when you defy the human spirit with music that is defiant, you just produce ugliness and anxiety and sometimes even worse things um, like demonic influences. You know, um, I actually believe that there is there is music that draws in angelic influences and there's music that draws in uh, uh, demonic influences and subhanallah the that sound in surah ar-rahman is thoroughly calming and angelic in nature I'm okay. Okay. Um, So we have a a number of questions. On Surah Rahman? Yeah. We're going to stay with just Surah Rahman. We're not going to go beyond that because we have a lot. Um, One question is um, Can you explain what the seven heavens are about? Because people refer to the seven heavens. Oh, the, these are the references to Sabah al-Samawat, um, al-Samawat al-Sabah. Um, 
these are of course different than the Jinan. Um, you know, when people talk about Jannat al-Firdaus, Jannat al-Ma'ad, and, and so on and so forth, these are references to Jannah. You know, whether there are different names of Jannahs or different Jannahs is a different issue. But the seven heavens, the Samawat al-Sab'ah, is, is something entirely different. And they, they don't necessarily have anything to do with Jannahs. Um so I actually, you know, the, the the problem in English is that we we struggle to find a translation for some Samawat al-Saba. You know, you can't really call them the seven skies because they're not skies, um, and there, some people said that the Samawat al-Saba, the the seven Samawat, uh, refer not to an actual samat, but to time periods. So, literally, seven periods of the creation of the sky that surrounds the earth. And I don't remember what their argument is about these seven periods, or um, but that the that the creation went in seven phases. And that uh, these, uh, they're not linear in nature, but that they're like, um, um, so anyway, but I'm, I'm, and I can't remember exactly what the argument is about the, the periods of creation. The, what are the seven samawat? What are the seven skies? Although people like, um, Zaghloul al-Najjar has tried to reconcile it scientifically to argue that they refer to particular uh, stratas in the atmosphere. And I, I've read what he said and I've, I didn't find it very convincing. And I, the only thing I can say is that we don't really know what the seven skies, seven samawat, refers to. Except that the Quran, Allah keeps repeating that there are Sabah Samawat, or Samawat and Sabah. Um, what is the truth of them? We don't know. Assalamu alaikum, Shaykh. May Allah preserve you and grant you the higher levels of Jannah. I can only imagine that questions about the nature of Jannah have been around since the earliest days. I have heard questions from youth about Jannah as well that essentially ask, won't we get bored in Jannah? This idea you shared about growth in Jannah would help answer that, but then does this mean that there is also struggle or pain in Jannah since those seem to be essential to growth and self-development? They are essential to growth and self-development in life on this earth um, be, because of the, the the truth of life on this earth is that it is a test and that what and again we, we we're just dealing with Surah Al-Rahman but if we engage in this long journey inshallah with the entire Quran what I believe growth 
in Jannah means it's guided by passion, but not pain. It is essentially, um, it, while hell is expatriation for sin, and so it does involve pain, obviously, and suffering. The, the, the very concept of suffering and the very nature of human beings that, um, the, that base parts of us that only grows that if your hands get burned, that you, you learn that you know the way to avoid fire is that if you put your hands in fire, it burns. That part, through study of the Quranic text, it seems to be materially altered in a different reality in which depending on, on who you are and depending on what you long for, you either grow closer to Allah or you don't. Um, and the Quran gives us in, very, in a variety of surahs indications that it is that some of us will be content with a limited amount of growth and some of us will develop a passion for the light and for the face of the Lord. Um, to be among the closest of the close, if you will. Of course, so much of our existence, and I don't, the, the, you know, we assume that the same God that demonstrated to us that the fact that God can create creatures that do the same thing out of instinct and that don't seem to get bored. I mean, your, your dog never gets bored with greeting you and with you petting your dog. It's, it's mind-boggling. A dog can live for 20 years, and every single time, that dog is happy to see you, regardless of what you do. And that dog is so content with the attention you give that dog, the idea of boredom doesn't seem, but the idea of boredom, interestingly, does enter the mind, the behavior of the dog, uh, it seems, when it comes to playing by himself or the dog just playing on their own. They get bored, but not if you play with the dog. They don't go bored. They might get tired, so they need to rest, but as soon as they rest, they go back to play. So God has demonstrated to us that God can create creatures that don't know the concept of boredom. It is, again, a lack of knowledge of, of the Rahman that we assume that the way we're going to be created in the hereafter has to carry all the same characteristics in the here now, while Allah has given us all types of signs of what God is capable of creating. God, in the same way God is capable of creating these remarkable beings that fly and that enjoy flying and landing and flying and landing for as long as they live. 
it is it is a failure of imagination and also the failure of imagination partly is responsible for we're responsible for when we deal with our children because we should be very honest with our children and say you know look at the variety of ways that God's creation teaches you about God and you will be you, the, the, your rewards when we teach our children that your rewards are going to be these physical material rewards don't blame them when they think well you know in the, if we're going to be eating bananas and oranges and apples uh, in the hereafter and eating meat cooked delicious you know um, fried chicken and I don't know what other what do you call them? Uh, you know whatever we, uh, we we don't fry meat what we what do we do with meat we um, I don't know barbecued meat okay fine you know don't blame them if then they think well aren't we gonna get bored because we've locked them in an entirely material set of examples while the Quran gives us an indication when it talks about flowing rivers of honey. Is that a physical example? If we saw a river flow, a river of honey flowing on this earth, are going to be, are we going to be excited and thrilled by that? Are we going to say, "Oh, I want to take a swim in that river. It looks so inviting." Honey is sticky and annoying if you try to swim in it. It's an indication that Allah is telling us it's a different creation than the one that you've experienced in this life. But a reward should always be defined and exemplified to our children by, by telling them your increased understanding, a state of love, a state of kindness, a state of friendship, a state in which... You love everyone and you're loved by everyone and a state in which there is no fear and there is no threat and there is no harm and there is no pain and a state in which you learn and learning brings you ever closer to Allah and Allah is beautiful. The more you learn about Allah, the more at peace and tranquil you are. That's a shifting of paradigm where things are just not always reduced to this physicality that deprecates the divine and deprecates us in the process. Okay. Will the, the dwellers of the lower Jannah be deprived of the beatific vision of Allah? The description of الجنة الدونية or ودونهما جنتان is fascinating because it expresses a Jannah so instead of فيهما عينا I'm, I'm blanking out. Fihima uh, Ainani Tajrian, instead of Ainani Tajrian, it tells us Fihima Ainani Nadakhatan. Now, the difference, Ainan Tajrian 
are is something flowing, something in a state of action. And people like Ibn Arabi and Jilani and so on said that it flows with illumination and enlightenment. While Nadakhatan these ayin, the, 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 these fountains of knowledge, it traditionalists say fountains of water. So in traditionalists, it's flowing rivers as opposed to springs of water that bubble water from, but, but they're not flowing rivers. But if you take my school of thought and the school of thought of the others I've mentioned, they're not fountains of water, they're fountains of knowledge. The difference between the two, one is flowing with enlightenment, the other is emerging, nadaha is something literally that comes from a source and it bubbles. It bubbles forward, but it doesn't, it's not enough for it to flow. Now, of course, if you really think about it, 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 it the, the, if, if this was referring to water, how could you have a ayn al-dakha that doesn't, if, it, if, it's, if it's constantly bubbling with water, eventually it's going to create a stream. So, I mean, t- taking it literally as referring to water doesn't make sense at so many levels. Anyway, so what is the difference? Then if you contrast something that is a, f- a flowing fountain of knowledge as opposed to literally the possibility of illumination and enlightenment. But it is not flowing with enlightenment. If you take فِيهِمَا فَاكِهَةٌ وَنَخْلٌ وَرُمَّانٌ فِيهِمَا خَيْرَاتٌ حِسَانٌ So then it teases you with mentioning of fruit, but not just any fruit. Fruit that are the source of great amount of goodness in our human life experience, the the, the dates and roman are particularly healthy for human beings. They they are full of energy, they're full of carbohydrates, they are they sustain life. But then it tells you Khayratun. And other other goodness of beauty, but the very Arabic expression, it's as if telling you they are there like untapped possibilities. So you have a physical reality that, that you recognize uh, through the, the reference to actual the first time that fruit is mentioned. And then other than it tells you an other goodness that you will recognize and that has great potential, but it but but nothing it, it doesn't elaborate beyond that as contrasted in the other jinan when um, 
when it tells you Zawata Afnan Zawata means wonders of enlightenment as opposed to Khairat and Hisan where it's not wonders of enlightenment but possibilities of enlightenment. So this is what increasingly over the years and very reluctantly because when you're raised in a traditional training you know, every time you want to think of something that is not thoroughly supported by the tradition, your humility draws you back and your humility torments you. So it took me years to come at peace or to be at peace with the realization that the, the lower jinan are jinans of untapped possibilities. They, 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 the good is there, but it, 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 they need to be developed. So it's as if Allah is telling you to answer your question. The beauty of your Lord is there. It's manifest. You, you've deserved the reward. But the beauty of your Lord is not attainable because... And as the rest of the Quran and, and many other surahs that, that for instance, we learn from Surah Al-Nur and um, Surah even Al-Dukhan, which is mind-boggling, that you lived, you did your good in life, but your relationship with God never transcended the point of full trust. You never really trusted in your in God fully. You've never really solved your grievances with God. You you you've 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 did your part. You deserve Jannah, but you died full of grievances, full of doubts. Have many doubts. You've never really longed for the face of your Lord, for the beauty of your Lord. That was not the universe in which you lived. You, you know, you did your salah, sometimes you focused on your salah, sometimes you didn't, sometimes when, when you wanted something, you wanted a better pay, you wanted better grades, you wanted uh, your loved one healed, you prayed very hard, when you didn't, you sort of pushed your salah to the last second, you prayed, you know, the right before it's over, us right before it's over, you a lot of times were bored when you were praying, were doing prayer, you a lot of times yawn, you were yawning throughout your salah, you know, as you pray, Aisha, you're yawning, you've missed Fajr so many times, you... You've backbited six million gazillion times. You've talked about you've you've lived you know a so now alhamdulillah you've attained jannah, but that jannah has the same untapped possibilities that you for that you 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 foregoed in life on earth. Now Allah is just. And if you want to tap these possibilities in the hereafter and reach out for your Lord and say, Allah, now I know the truth. And Allah, now I don't want the, 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 the dates and the roman. What is roman um, in English? Um, 
Does anyone know what a ruman is? Do you hear anyone? Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. Let me just make sure that. I don't know if it's. Oh, pomegranate? Oh, thank you. Is it pomegranate? Okay, thank someone you. is not. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, so, pomegranate. You know, if you get to that point where you say, yeah, Allah, please, I know. I I I was very confused in my lifetime. I did my all the ibadah, you know, to but now I know. Allah, can I reach for you? Can I worship you in Jannah so that you bring me closer? Now this is the passion that I have. My prayers, my ibadah, my zikr have taught me that Allah is not going to say no. You can talk to a lot of traditionalists and they'll say, no, 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 in Jannah, you're just, you know, be eating and drinking and, and doing, and I, that's not what Jannah is about. That's not what Jannah is about, people. This Jannah is not about stuffing yourself and maintaining your weight and having a good figure and having orgies and, and that's not that's that's just yeah. i mean let's be honest i mean what 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 is you know when we tell you like you have 72 versions what are these other than orgies what are they you know you should one should be ashamed to to think of allah in these terms and talk about allah in these terms that's that's not our God. That's not Jalali wal Ikram. That's not. That's that's male chauvinism. Male male chauvinists injected their desires in the tradition because they were petty minded, small minded, and. When you look at the our scholars who were not male chauvinists, like Ibn Arabi or like Jilani, they very easily exceed uh, this nonsense. They very easily see through it and say, no, no, that's nonsense. That's not what it's about. I just want to voice appreciation when the professor emphasizes stripping our interpretations of patriarchy in order to reach authentic understandings of the Quran. The repetition of virgins and pretty women in Jannah is quite degrading. So when there is a deeper interpretation of the words of God that are not the shallow desires of men, it feels enlightening and fulfilling and validates further the greatness of Allah and what Allah wanted to deliver to us. I do not find such pure approaches to the Quran like this elsewhere. and then someone asked, building upon that, um, even though it's outside of the surah, what should we make of mentions of Hur al-Ain? No, well, I mean, the, the surah al-Rahman itself, uh, when it describes the lower jannahs, it says, Hurun maqsuratun fil khiyam. Now, so the, the traditional translation of this, even if you take, uh, even if you take, um, the study Quran this is ayah uh, 71 okay um, so the study Quran for instance 
and I like the study Quran, so it's not even you know one of the. Um, Okay, but yeah, so the study Quran, for instance, translates it as maidens secluded in pavilions. Okay, so even the study Quran translates it as maidens, and maidens secluded in pavilions, maidens secluded in tents. What are these maidens that are secluded except in, in the way that? men have interpreted the Quran except for sexual fulfillment. Now, a lot of, some, as I, when I did the traditional tafsir, I, I went through this, and I said that some traditional mufassirun said that what it's talking about is not maidens, meaning uh, women that are waiting for their husbands who are men that go to Jannah, but rather said that these are the, your wives on earth, that husband and wife will go to go to Jannah together uh, if they both deserve Jannah and they'll be married in Jannah. And you could refer to the traditional tafsir. But let me show you, for example, what did I do with it? Where is my... Um, oh, can you give me that? Let me show you a very different tradition. Okay. So here is a Sufi tra- uh, 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 commentary on Hurun Maqsurat fil Khiyam, which are translated by traditionalists always as maidens, virginal maidens, virgin maidens, whatever. So it says, Fijinan. هؤلاء الأبرار أزواج مصورة من مثوبات الأعمال فيهن والطاعات حسان لا قبح معهن بوجه من الوجود and then it goes on فمثوبات الأعمال الأبرار وأخلاقهن ما يترتب, ما يترتب عليها وإن لم تكن في الصفاء واللطافة كمخدرات الخائفين إلا أنهم خور حسنة الوجوه أي مقصور كل منهم على من أتى بالأعمال الصالحة والأخلاق المرضية لا يتعدى إلى الغير and then he says إن كل نفس رهينة بما كسبت خيرا كان أو شرا so and I believe this is a Jilani. A Jilani says, Hurun maqsurat bil khiyam, and this goes back to the root of root word of Hur, means that you are coupled in the hereafter with a physical manifestation of your deeds. I am sure no one has ever heard this before because I know what what has been transmitted from our tradition to moderns, 
this is medieval, that your deeds will physically manifest, if you're a man or woman, will physically manifest into an embodiment. And you will be coupled with your physical, the manifestation of your physical deeds. Literally, you'll be married to your deeds. Now, for moderns, this is mind-boggling. For moderns, it's, it's something I'm sure they've never heard. So, if my deeds are beautiful, I'm going to have a spouse who is truly beautiful. And if I, my deeds are not so beautiful, I'm going to have a spouse who's not that beautiful, man or woman. But I don't, I don't, my own interpretation is not, is not that. What I understand, hur maqsurat, I, I also go back to the, to the word hur. And the word hur doesn't necessarily mean maiden, it doesn't necessarily mean women, it doesn't mean, uh, the funny things is that in the, uh, uh, some in the, a lot of the traditional mufassirun tell you, hur means that women who are beautiful, who have a slight, um, cross, slightly cross-eyed, because hur comes from the word hawar, and hawar, as a sign of beauty in in Arabia, uh, old Arabia, is that if you had one eye that is a little cross-eyed, what in your little a little cross-eyed in one eye, it was considered a sign of beauty. But hur doesn't mean maiden. It doesn't mean virgins. It doesn't mean cross-eyed. It doesn't mean any of that. And Jilani says, well, hur, it comes closest to an embodiment. It's, it's a hawar shaykh. Hawar shaykh is an, an embodiment of something. I agree that hawar is an embodiment. That part I agree with. But I believe what is maqsurat fil khiyam is an embodiment of the potentialities of, of your understanding that are extended to you to the extent or in proportion to your deeds and your goodwill. So, and I actually, in the traditional tafsir, I, I covered it with some detail the various mufassirun that tell you why hawar means the embodiment of something. I think it is the embodiment of enlightenment that it is consistent with Aynani Nadlakhatan, is consistent with Mudhammatan. It is consistent with the idea of enlightenment that is untapped, the potentiality of enlightenment that is untapped. How much of it is tapped depends in proportion to what you've contributed, what you've done in your life on this earth, to what you longed for, what you desired. Imputing sexual, sexualizing al-hur fil khiyam has a long patriarchal story and has a, I mean, and unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of the the women who wrote on this from a critical perspective, feminist perspective, 
we're not pious. And that remains our problem, is a lot of our quote-unquote reformers are too embarrassed or too hesitant to wear their piety on their sleeve, to say, I am doing this because I am a committed Muslim and because I have journeyed towards the Lord. Instead, they want to speak in secular terms. And of course, then... <laughs> it is no wonder that a lot of people become defensive and they don't want to listen to what they have to say. But at the same time, some of the women who wrote from the perspective of piety were not entered, were not educated in the tradition. So what they wrote appeared superficial. So, for instance, I've read all the, all the, material, all the material written in modernity in English or, or Arabic or French uh, about Hur. And no one ha bothered with presenting the classical debates on the meaning of Hur and that it is not necessarily a gendered issue. It's, it, Hur is not necessarily a gendered word. And that is what impoverishes our tradition. Is that you have people who have, you know, are offended, but they're not anchored in, 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 in piety. And people who come from the perspective of piety, but they're not anchored in the tradition, they've not been educated in the tradition. None of the references, I mean, and let me put it very bluntly to you. I don't know, I know a lot of young people, usually young males who are not married or who just married young, who care about sexual pleasures in heaven because of all the fitan they see on this earth and they want to believe, well, I've abstained. And, you know, if I've abstained from all these pleasures... I want to know that I'm going to get equal pleasures in the hereafter. But I haven't encountered a single person who has journeyed the path of the Lord, who've reached the point of hearing the tasbih account and sujood al-kawn, the journey towards the Lord where they hear the tasbih of creation and the prostration of creation that remains interested in the sexual pleasures of the hereafter. Not a single person. It's just not interesting to them anymore. It's not in their heart. Now, And at that point, the, they have the ability to re-engage the discourse on who, at least like Jilani did, or Ibn Arabi. Read about what Ibn Arabi said about the Hur Maksurat al Khiyam. I mean, it blows your mind. He basically mocks the idea that that is sexual at all. Or that they're maidens, or that they're virgins, or and he says, you know, it, it's only people of inept understanding that say they are. But 
Unfortunately, the men that I know who have traveled this path, who, ha- who don't care about sex in, in, in heaven, what holds them back from speaking their mind is the fear of being ostracized and declared heretics by their fellow Muslims. And the, the, the chorus of attacks that falls upon you, the minute, and then the, the absurdity of people coming and saying, oh, the reason you're denying virginal maidens in the hereafter is because you want to please the West. I, I don't, the West is the most sexualized thing in the world that I know of. I want to please the West by, by looking beyond sex in the hereafter. I mean, the absurdity of it, but that's what silences people. And because I don't care who follows me or how many people follow me or anyone, if anyone follows me, I simply lost even the remotely the passion for that a long time ago. That's why I say what I say. I, you know, if I die with not a single human being, believing anything I say, as long as I've done my job and I've disclosed what I believe Allah taught me, I don't care. I don't care. It is what I believe is the truth. Okay. Should we make this the last question? Is there a lot of questions still? I think we're, I think it's good. There are a lot, but I don't think all of you should cover all of them. Okay, yeah, because this is we're getting late. So we're, we're reaching the five-hour mark, which is amazing. Alhamdulillah. So I'm just going to end with this one. Um, when is the best time to read Surah Al-Rahman? When we need comfort? Mm. Okay, yeah, th- th- that's, um, that's a good question. Surah Al-Rahman will bring you a lot of comfort at, at your times of anxiety, times of hardship, um, especially if you hear it from a beautiful voice, but but hear it, in other words, get a Quranic reciter who recites the Quran beautifully and listen to that recitation and focus and try to recite with the recitation. If you're able to do that, um, you, you, you'll see that the, the results. I mean, if you, if you focus enough to actually recite with the reciter, the, the, the beauty of the voice, we often don't give enough credit to how important the beauty of sound is. We, 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 Allah gave us eyes and nose and ears for a reason. And Allah gave us these because each has a role to play in beautifying us. You know, we can use these to make us more ugly, but that's not what Allah wants. Allah wants um, to make us more beautiful. So use your eyes to look at things that make you more beautiful. Use your ears to hear things that make you more beautiful. Use your nose to smell things that make you more beautiful. The path of Allah is beauty. That's your Lord. Use the senses towards Allah's beauty 
the more you get your senses accustomed to beauty, the closer to Allah you'll find your path takes you. So yes, you know, listen to Surah Al-Rahman at times of hardship, anxiety. However, however, if you don't want Surah Al-Rahman simply to console you, but you want Surah Al-Rahman to become a companion in a journey so that you travel with it. There are some surah in the Quran that are traveling surah. And inshallah, if we get the opportunity to do the project, I, you know, I would take, or at least the people that would be doing it with me for a year, they would travel with me. So we would actually practice them. But, but at least I get a chance to disclose what the surah, the traveling surah are. Surah al-Rahman is one of the traveling surah. So you can take Surah Al-Rahman and you start with the dhikr. You can do the dhikr that I mentioned, Al-Mizan, Al-Rahman, and then Al-Rahman, and then Allah Man, Al-Rahman, Allah Man, Al-Rahman. You can, instead of doing that, you can repeat the answer that the companions would repeat every time they would hear and you listen to the Quran and keep giving that response. What worked for me is the dhikr. And I would do the dhikr for as long as it takes and then I would read Surah Al-Rahman and then I would go back to the dhikr. And that was instrumental in journeying with Surah Al-Rahman. And what I mean by journeying is that Grace mentioned a trance. I, I don't know how it looks to a person who's, you know, an outside of you, but th the way it feels is that uh, you lose sense of time and, and place. And your entire focus on that the foundation of everything, in everything, is a Rahman. Not all the, the, the Rahman quite explicitly and specifically. The merciful, the compassionate, that God whose mercy encompasses all and engulfs all and is in all. Because that is also, Surah Rahman does something else beyond just making you feel good. But it teaches you that anything you do that can be described as cruelty rather than mercy, anything that you do or perform or act upon that cannot, that doesn't have the, the, the that characteristics of mercy, and compassion in it takes you away from God. And that's something that you find throughout your life. You want to get closer to Allah, perform acts of mercy in everything. Be a thoroughly merciful human being. You know, people will call you weak, people will call you naive, people will call you simplistic, people will call you all time. 
that's the that's the price you pay. But acts of mercy take you towards God. Anything that manifests in anything other than mercy, put it quite bluntly, takes you towards the demonic. And some people drift towards the demonic until they no longer realize that they have become completely in trapped in the demonic. You know, it, it, it's, it's a very deceptive process. But that's what Surah Al-Rahman and living with Surah Al-Rahman teaches you. For the, I mean, since we are, you know, only Allah knows when we will meet next in this type of tafsir, um, because I have nothing planned and I, I don't plan anything until Allah wills otherwise. Uh, you could read Surah Al-Rahman once a week. You know, I, I don't want to burden you and say once a day, but you could see, read Surah Al-Rahman and, and live with it once a week. And you'll see, you'll see how it tra- starts reorganizing your molecules. You become a different human being. Okay, I have a question. <laughs> Um, well, actually, two things I wanted to say. You were telling me the other day about how you, the importance of Surah Rahman is mercy over justice. Like, you don't want mm-hmm. God to deal with you as justice, but as mercy. So that was one, one question, or one issue. The second thing is, okay, so for someone like me who is a non-Arabic speaker, right, mm-hmm. and I'm just stuck with sort of these translations, which are now I'm totally unsatisfied with, um, and I know there's the power in the language of Arabic itself. So what do you tell someone like me? Okay, well, I'm, I'm happy you, you brought up the, the first point. So I actually, I one of these nights, I came to Grace and said, okay, I, I, I have to share this. I can't hold it back anymore. And, of course, she whips out her recorder she, I don't know, she ha- always has hidden somewhere. I don't know where she hides that recorder, but My she, phone. O- yeah, she always whips it out. Oh, it's your phone? Yeah, so anyway, so I told her um, something that I forgot today. Um, I had been doing a session with Surah Al-Rahman, and, and I said, you know, Surah Al-Rahman teaches me that what I want from Allah is rahmah, mercy, not justice. Now there is a dua by the Prophet والسلام, that the Prophet taught the companions and the, the Prophet taught the companions to, to ask Allah to deal with them according to Allah's mercy, not Allah's justice. So that when you pray to Allah, you really don't want Allah to treat you with the measure of justice. Because if Allah treats you with justice, you don't know how you're going to fare. You want Allah's mercy. You want Allah's... Because effectively, to be rewarded for what you don't deserve. That would be your sincere hope. Of course, what I was referring to in Surah Al-Rahman is that what Surah Al-Rahman really teaches 
legalists like myself, jurists types, is that you live, yes, focused on the instrumentalities of the mizan, the, the mechanics of the mizan, but how unsatisfying are the demands and yields of strict law? Even if you're able to achieve legal justice, if you don't have Allah's mercy shrouding your life in every step you go, in every place, in every moment, um, the yields of justice are very unsatisfying. It's very much like the difference between the yields of strict justice and true morality. Um, the yields of virtue, you know, things like generosity and kindness and equity, things that go beyond justice. And Surah Al-Rahman internalizes this in you until it becomes part of your DNA. It becomes ingrained in the fiber of your being. The, the second part, yes, that's the tough thing with all the soar, um, the, 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 the soar in which the music is part of the message, is that you can worship Re, re, by reflecting on the meaning, you know, you take what I've now I've had the traditional halakas and I've had the, these thanks to Sharif, I mean, to, to um, the disclosure of, of the personal journey halakas. Um, and then you basically, when you read Surah Al Rahman in translation, think of the terms you've learned. But if you want the full benefit, the bad news is you would have to memorize the surah the Arabic enunciations of the surah, like Surah Al-Fatiha or, you know, the other surah that you memorize. Because there are surah in the Quran where the music itself... Now, remember, there are... Um, and this has existed in throughout the, the Muslim world, non-Arabic-speaking non Muslim world, where you encounter a lot of Muslim cultures that literally learn to read the Quran although they don't understand it. And they, they, they learn the music of the Quran. And, I, you know, I, and I've met so many people that in, in, in countries like that would just like, will even recite the Quran beautifully, but they don't understand any of it. So that's another option is to, to actually learn to read how to read the words rather than memorize them and recite them without having to learn Arabic as a full language. Okay, is is everyone happy, satisfied? I don't I don't want to leave anyone unsatisfied or upset. So check <laughs> since I can't hear people. Does anybody want to say anything or? write anything. I'm going to just, I'll leave the, the chat up. Let's see. 
Thank you for your comments, by the way. Oh, I see there are a lot of comments. Sorry that I missed. Um, thank you. This has been lightning. Okay, I'm going to share the comments that you have. Sorry that I, I missed the last um, grouping of comments that came on the chat. So I'll share them with the professor so he sees what you said. But if there are any, any if anyone wants to also say anything. I'd be happy to convey. This do do um, do to that we um, yeah the, you know the the sewer, um we have been for years now. I get dreams of various sewer. Um Yeah, it's. Uh, the, and you that's the point where you you realize like you're pregnant and and the baby needs to come out <laughs> and as long as the baby is inside it's very tortuous and um so give do the that the baby comes out you know Europe. I'm seeing a lot of comments that just say this has been really enlightening. But I'll share everyone's comments with the professor. So thank you very much for staying with us for the five hours. And um, this has been an incredible session. May Allah reward you. Yeah, inshallah, we will see you Friday for the khutbah. And um, we right now, uh, we have um, the next tafsir scheduled for, I think, I think it's the 8th of August. So unless we have um, some other gift that, that God intends for us, we'll see you then, inshallah. So okay. thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Bye, everybody.